Hello again, and welcome to the Messages podcast of Newbury Park First Christian Church. We're glad you're listening because we believe that constant contact with the Word of God, obviously handled with the right heart, can really change your life and can help you adopt the kingdom of God into every part of your daily rhythm. Today's podcast is from a series called Resolve, based on the book of Daniel. Just as Daniel found himself in the middle of a culture that was quickly flowing away from God's design, we can learn from his example how to resolve to follow the Lord no matter what and thrive as a result. So be blessed today as you receive this word. All right, well, we're going to dive in. We're in the book of Daniel in our sermon series called Resolve. And, um, and this is just, there's so much that just kind of percolates to the top as we uh, dive into this ancient truth um, with so much meaning that is relevant for today. Now, on June 18th, 1815, having conquered a majority of Europe, Napoleon came to the city of Waterloo. And with superior forces, he met the British and Persians' armies. And, um, and if uh, he had victory there, uh, it was assured that he would control all of Europe. Napoleon, as they were strategizing about their plan to take Waterloo, he boasted to one of his generals that by two o'clock in that afternoon, he would capture the Duke of Wellington and all of Europe would be at his feet. But the general cautioned Napoleon by saying these words, but we must not forget that man proposes, but God disposes. To which Napoleon replied, I want you to understand, sir, that Napoleon proposes and Napoleon disposes. Victor Hugo, the French writer, says this, and from that moment, Waterloo was lost. For God would not be mocked and sent rain and hail So Napoleon's cannons were stuck in the mud and his troops could not maneuver so that by the end of the day, Napoleon was the prisoner of Wellington. Napoleon was exiled then to the small island of St. Helena where he died seven years later. As we're gonna see throughout chapter four of the book of Daniel today, there's many similarities between Napoleon and Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, namely that if you take a look at their downfall, all you have to do is hit the rewind button just slightly to find a moment where pride got the best of them. And they forgot who was truly in charge of all things. And in reality, it's a story that's pretty familiar to every single one of us who at one time or another think that we are the rulers of our own kingdoms, and all of us go through that. Chapter four starts out with King Nebuchadnezzar's personal testimony of how he came to surrender to the one true God. And the rest of the chapter then tells the story of how he got there. So let's jump in in Daniel chapter four, starting in verse one. Um, there's Bibles on the side if you need one. There's, uh, you can get everything on the Bible app and things like that if you would like. And if you would like, uh, there's uh, sermon note things in there all over the place if you need some of those. But let's dive into Daniel chapter 4. Verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples and nations and men of every language who live in all the world, 
May you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Now, that's a pretty amazing testimony for a pagan king, right? I mean, what, what we find here is that, like, this is this one part of the story. This is actually a, written by Nebuchadnezzar's own hand. I mean, think about this. This pagan king gets his writing in the Bible. In the first half of this chapter, it's, this is Nebuchadnezzar talking here, right? And so, which is interesting when you think about our view of Scripture, that our, 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 the Word of God is Holy Spirit-inspired, so God's Spirit inspired the writing that Nebuchadnezzar wrote here. And here, this pagan king gets some page time in our Bible. And it's pretty amazing what he says there. But then he goes on after his testimony, and he shares with us about his insomnia, right? I don't know if you suffer from insomnia. Is there some of you who, who, who struggle with sleeping? Yeah, well, then you're right there with Nebuchadnezzar, Right? So here's what, he, here's what happens during his uh, insomnia moments. He says in verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, okay, see, so he's writing this here. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace and contented and prosperous. I think he was probably telling people, you know, what it was like to live at the end of the rainbow, right? Which is something we joke about here. In verse 5, he said, I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my, through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians and enchanters and astrologers and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. We've been here before, okay? Back in chapter two, we were in the same spot, right? Remember, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He told the people, hey, I need, in that case, he said, you have to tell me what my dream was and then the interpretation, so he knows that they weren't just messing with him. But what happens here is, you know, he tells them the dream and they can't interpret it. I mean, you would have thought that after the other experiences, Nebuchadnezzar would realize that these guys have no clue whatsoever. But he seeks this advice from these magicians and enchanters and astrologers and these diviners, these wise men of Babylon. And don't we do the same thing? I mean, think about it. Where, where do you go for advice? I, I want to encourage you this morning with this. Be careful where you, get, where you seek advice. Be very, very careful. We have a world, I mean, if you go to the bookstore, I know we hardly do that anymore because of Amazon, right? But if you even go on Amazon, you put it, the biggest section of books is all self-help stuff, right? Here's the reality. If you could help yourself, you would have. But we're all seeking advice, and the, the, the big question is, where are you seeking your advice from? I always think it's interesting that people who are having relationship problems, they go to people who have messed up relationships so that they can consort together. Right? Like, don't do that. Right? If, if you're worried about your kids and you're, you're worried about parenting, don't go get advice from the parent whose kids are just always going off the rail. Right? Look for people who've been there and been through it and have come out on the other end 
in a way that pleases God. Be very careful where you get your advice. So finally, after these guys don't work, Daniel comes on the scene. Okay? Uh, and, and it says in verse 8, it says, finally, okay? Uh, we don't know where Daniel was, out running the kingdom somewhere. But finally, he says, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. And check this little note out, because again, this is Nebuchadnezzar writing. He says, he is called Belshazzar, after the name of my God and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. Okay, kind of interesting. We'll come to that in a minute. I said, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you. And no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions that I saw while lying in my bed. I looked, and there before me was, stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant. And on it was food for all. Under, under it, the beasts of the field found shelter and the birds of the air lived in its branches and from every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in my bed, I looked and there before me was a messenger, a holy one coming down from heaven. And he called out in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip, of, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground and in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals along uh, among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass for him. The decision is announced by the messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Two times during that thing, I think it's interesting, that the king tells Daniel, he says, I know that the spirit of these, you know, of the holy gods is living in you. It becomes quite obvious that there's something different about Daniel. And folks, here's a question for you. Would the people around you, the people that you work with, your neighbors, the parents of the kids on your kids' sports teams, would they be able to say of you that the Spirit of God is on you? Would they recognize that there's something different about your life and go, you know, there's something different, and hey, the Spirit of God is in you. Does your language, your work ethics, the jokes that you tell or forward, your social media posts, the way that you care about others, do they proclaim that the spirit of the holy God is living in you? Or are you just like everyone else? If they know that the spirit of God is moving and living in you, they might avoid you at first. They might even mock you from time to time, but when their life hits the skids, man, they will be lining up and knocking on your door for advice because they're gonna want some of what you've got. 
Now, let's see what Daniel has to say about this whole dream. Verse 19 says, Then Daniel, also called Belshazzar, was greatly perplexed. And for a time, he was greatly perplexed for a time. And his thoughts terrified him. So the king said to Belshazzar, Do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the beasts of the field, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds of the air, you, O king, are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Now, one of the things you need to understand here is there was no rival in this time for King Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom. It was said that the, that the city of Babylon that he built, that the walls around the city were over 300 feet high, that they were 87 feet thick, that four chariots could, could go in line together around the walls of the city of Babylon. And the great Euphrates River ran through the city, giving water the whole thing. The hanging gardens of Babylon, which were one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, was, was something that Nebuchadnezzar had built for his wife. And, and people would come from all over the world to see this place. It, it was said that out on the plain that you could see the city of Babylon for over 50 miles away, which is pretty amazing. There was this enormous place, and, he, and Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful person on the earth. But the interpretation goes on. You, O king, saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass field while its roots remain in the ground, and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live like the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High that the Most High has issued against my Lord the king. You will be driven away from people, and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass for you, until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Now here's Daniel's advice to him. He says, renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. And that it may be that when your prosperity, then it may be that your prosperity will continue. In every chapter so far, God is trying to reveal himself to Nebuchadnezzar. You know, we, we, we think the story is all about Daniel and all about his friends, but God is trying to reveal himself to Nebuchadnezzar. In chapter one, remember that the, Daniel and his friends, they said, hey, we won't eat the king's food. We resolve not to defile ourselves. And because they did that, God made them 10 times healthier and 10 times wiser than everybody else. And the king acknowledged that. 
In chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar is amazed by Daniel being able to tell him the dream that he had and interpret it. It says in Daniel 2.47, the king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. So he's like, wow, like your God is amazing. In chapter 3 that we looked at last week, God shows up in the fiery furnace and saves Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Daniel... In Daniel 3.28, it says, this is Nebuchadnezzar speaking, he says, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. No other God can save like this. The thing is, is that no matter how amazed Nebuchadnezzar was by God's power, no, no matter how he was wowed, or no matter how much he proclaims that, that this God is powerful, Nebuchadnezzar has not surrendered to God. He still says, hey, hey, it's the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's the God of Daniel. It's the, you know, it's, it's the God who's out there somewhere. He's one of many gods. But he has not recognized that God, the one true God, is sovereign over all things. That he alone is God. And here in chapter 4, once again, God is trying to reveal himself to Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, this is an amazing part of the story, that time and time again, God is working to reveal himself to this pagan king, that God pursues this pagan king. I mean, our God is a pursuer. How many of you are glad that God did not give up his pursuit of you? Amen? I mean, the Bible tells us even while we were sinners, God that, that, that Jesus died for us. Our God pursues us. Why did God continue to pursue this pagan king? Well, the same reason that he continues to pursue you and me. Because he loves us. God pursues us because he loves us. And God will go to incredible lengths to pursue you. In fact, this morning, I, I want you to just recognize that, that, that God is pursuing you. That God desperately wants a relationship with you. And he will do anything it takes to show you that. What strikes me here is that Daniel, Daniel who was taken captive, you know, probably at this point about 30 years prior, that Daniel, who was taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar, drug away from his home, you know, put through all this training, and now is in service to this king, that Daniel, that Daniel has a heart of concern for Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, isn't it amazing? He, he looks at Nebuchadnezzar and he says, man, king, I, I wish somebody else had this dream. Like, I, I, I wish that this interpretation was for your enemies. I mean, Daniel genuinely has a heart for King Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, if that was me, I'd be thinking, oh, finally, God. Like, get him. He deserves it. Right? That, I mean, finally, Nebuchadnezzar is going to get what's coming to him. That, that's what I'd be thinking. Like, God, rock this pagan king. Show him who's boss. Take him out. Right? I don't know about you, but that's, that's kind of where I'd be going with this whole thing. But not Daniel. Daniel has this incredible heart for Nebuchadnezzar. And so does God. I, I think one of the things that we all have to come to realize is this. Is 
the person that you struggle with the most in life, God desperately loves them. I mean, think about that. The, the person that you just like couldn't stand to be in the same room as. The, the, the person who, you know, if you see them on TV, you just, the hair goes back up on the back of your head and you're just like, ah, oh, man, and you just like, you wish God would take them out. Jesus died for them. God loves that person. And God wants you to have a heart for them too. See, Daniel understands about Nebuchadnezzar what Nebuchadnezzar doesn't even understand about himself. And that's that Nebuchadnezzar is actually operating as a servant of God. Jeremiah, the prophet, before the whole exile thing happened, Jeremiah made a prophecy like this. In Jeremiah chapter 27, verses 5 and 6, it says this. It says, with great power and an outstretched arm, this is Jeremiah speaking, but, but it's really God saying this. With my great power and outstretched arm, I made the earth and all its people and animals that are in it. And I give it to anyone I please. Now I will give all your countries to the into the hands of my servant, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And I will make even the wild animals subject to him. You see, God, God is using this guy. God, like Nebuchadnezzar, the things that he's doing, like taking them captive, this is God's doing. Now, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know that. Nebuchadnezzar just thinks like it's all about him, right? I mean, that, that's, that's where Nebuchadnezzar's at. He just thinks it's all about him. But God is using this guy as a servant of God to bring about the purposes of God. God made Nebuchadnezzar king. God simply now wants Nebuchadnezzar to acknowledge who serves who. Now, how about you? Do you have a heart for the lost? Do you pray for the people around you regularly? Even the people that rub you the wrong way? If God planted you in a job or a neighborhood or on a team where you're surrounded by people who are lost, God has placed you there for a purpose. And that purpose is to display God's image to these people. God loved them so much that he put you in their path, right in the midst of them to share the good news of Jesus with people who are lost, to let them know that there is a better way to do this life and that there is a God who loves them. Are you up for the challenge? Folks, th that place, wherever God has put you, that work spot, that team, that school, that neighborhood, wherever it is, that place is your mission field. And if you don't see it as your mission field, if you don't have a heart for the lost, if you don't have a heart to share with them the good news that you've discovered in Jesus, then you've got an issue with God. Because you cannot have a, God, a heart for God and not have a heart for the lost at the same time. If you remain apathetic or if you remain antagonistic towards people who are lost, then you are not in the midst of God's will for your life. So develop a heart for the lost. Ask God, pray that God would give you that heart. People, if we don't have a heart for the lost, then it's really just all about us. 
It's really just all about us and what we can get from God. And, and if it's all about us, and, and, and if it's all about what we want for us, and the world that we want to create for us, then we're in big trouble. And I want to invite you to begin to pray daily for the people around you. And especially those who maybe just tweak you the wrong way. That God would give you a heart for those people. Because if it's all about you, if it's all about what you want, then you're suffering from the same thing that Nebuchadnezzar suffered from. And that's the nasty five-letter word called pride. In the way, in the, in, in the way of, uh, um, sorry, and, and, and pride gets in the way of Nebuchadnezzar surrendering to God. It literally drives Nebuchadnezzar to insanity, right? I mean, it literally drives Nebuchadnezzar crazy. So let's look back at the passage, verse 28. It says, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months later. As the king was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon, okay, uh, so, God, so think about this. God gave Nebuchadnezzar a year, 12 months, to, to kind of get his act together. Okay, so remember this. God is patient. He gives him a whole year to kind of get it together. But a year later, Nebuchadnezzar hasn't figured this out yet. And so it says, he said, this is Nebuchadnezzar, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? I mean, he's like just picking a fight with God right here, right? God says, hey, if you'll surrender, acknowledge me as God, everything's going to be good. If not, you're in trouble. Well, look what he chooses. It's like, is it not, not my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Now, listen what happens. The words were still on his lips when the voice came from heaven, this is, what, um, this is what is decreed for you, O King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. And immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. So check this out. Look what happens to this guy. He was driven away from people, ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven and until his hair grew like feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. This guy literally snaps. You know, whether you want to call it a, a mental breakdown or whatever happens, this guy just snaps. And he ends up being driven out and he's now living out with the animals. And this guy's eating grass, and, and, and he's just a mess, okay? This guy would just be like, like you picture the most mentally messed up person you can, you can imagine. And he's living out there just absolutely just destroyed, right? This guy goes from the strong, greatest king on planet Earth at the time to basically just a guy that today we would, just, we would put in a padded room, right? Folks, beware of pride. Pride is an animal instinct. It, it, it can only look out for itself. Now, what's interesting here, I did a little research on this. The clinical diagnosis, there, there's two things that, that people think this could have been. There's actually t uh, something called um, boanthropy, which is a psychological disorder where a person believes that they're a cow or an ox. Okay? 
Now, it, it's, it's pretty rare. There have only been like, I think I saw somewhere 56 documented cases, right? But this, but, but this is what happens to the guy. There's another one I thought was interesting called lycranthropy, which is a mental disorder brought on by extreme stress where a person thinks they're an animal. It comes from the word lycos, which means wolf, and anthropos, which means man. So literally it means wolf man, okay? Which is where all the legends came from. What's interesting is that in ancient Persian writings that were found out around Haran, um, they found out that there were these tablets that said Nebuchadnezzar went crazy. So there's evidence to support that this thing, this like really happened. There's some Egyptian writings that says that Nebuchadnezzar w- was crazy and acted like a wild animal. So we, we know that this stuff, like there's, there's evidence that this actually happened. But we shouldn't be surprised. God's word in Proverbs says this, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall, which is exactly what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. This guy, his pride, his ego, his like, it's all about him. And God tells him, man, hey, unless you acknowledge that there is somebody more powerful than you. And look what happens to the guy. In 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 2, it says this, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful and proud. If those are the marks of the last days, I'd say we're in it. Social media has turned all of us into self-promoters, hasn't it? I mean, I, I mean, think about it. I mean, there, there's, some, there's some things that are kind of cool and fun about social media, the connections. I mean, I found an old college roommate I hadn't talked to in like, you know, 25 years. I mean, there's, there's some things that are, you know, it's wonderful to wish people a happy birthday. It's wonderful. I mean, this is half the time how I remember it is somebody's birthday, right? But, but the reality is, is there's some fun things. But what it's done to us as a people, I mean, think about it. I was, I was thinking about this this week, and I thought, man, social media and all of this technology, all it's done is turned us into these self-promoting individuals. It has heightened our pride to extreme amounts. That we're constantly you know, boasting and pride, just putting all this up, look at me, 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 look at what I've got, look at what I'm doing, look at all this stuff, right? And then I started to think about, because I've been looking at all these articles, why do you think that mental illness is an epidemic in our world? Now, I know that there could be lots of excuses, there there could be lots of things, and and believe me, I I, I mean, I love um, what happens in the world of psychology to help people and things like that. But if, but if I'm a student of the Bible, and I'm starting to realize that pride comes before a fall, pride brings destruction, pride bring, and arrogance okay, put people down, I'm thinking, we've become more and more prideful, more and more boastful, more and more this. Why wouldn't mental illness be an issue? I, I want to encourage you this week to maybe stop posting so much about you. Just stop posting so much about you. And 
and maybe try posting something about God and his greatness. Now, I know some of you are like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, do you know how people are going to respond to that? Like, there's going to be people who are just going to get all over that and get all crazy with it or whatever. Who cares? Right? If you care that much, you got more work to do on this than you think. I mean, you know, don't, don't enter into all the crazy. And don't make it be all about you. God has given us this tool. Maybe, maybe we ought to capture it to give him the glory instead of me. Because Nebuchadnezzar is a great example of what happens when we try to rob all the glory for ourselves. But just like God used the fire to free Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God uses this mental illness, this mental breakdown to break Nebuchadnezzar's pride and to bring him back. Okay, check it out in, in verse 34. It says, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven. And the peoples of the earth, no one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, now catch this, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Seven years go by. Now what... What king can go crazy for seven years and have his kingdom still be intact? That is only by the power of God. Or you got some godly guy like Daniel running the show while you're going nuts, right? Why did that happen? There's one simple answer. God said it was going to. And it was just to show his power. But listen, he goes on, he says this. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, okay, we get back to the beginning of the, past, of the chapter. But now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Folks, let's, let's just be honest this morning. The only thing that's more stressful than believing that you have to get to the top by your own strength. The only thing more stressful than climbing the ladder and climbing the ladder and clawing your way to the top is this. The only thing worse than that is staying there. Right? The energy that it takes to stay there. So many of us are stuck in a version of the American dream that has become a nightmare in our lives trying to sustain an unsustainable lifestyle, an unsustainable pace, an unsustainable, you know, um, possessions, all done by our own efforts. It's enough to drive anyone crazy. 
And many of you know the insanity that it brings. Why is mental health so huge in our society? Well, I think quite simply because we have, dis- we have decided that it all depends on us and it's all about us and it all revolves around us. And when that happens, well, pride comes before a fall. James 4, 6 says this, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I mean, think about that. God will humble you if you won't humble yourself. That, that, this, is what, this is the story of Nebuchadnezzar, right? God will humble you if you won't humble yourself. Why? Because he loves you. You see, because God cares more about your salvation, God cares more about your soul than he cares about your current, uh, your current situation. God would rather take stuff away and save your soul than he would lavish things on you and have you be prideful and arrogant and boastful. Because God loves you. You know, it's interesting. Seven years. For seven years, Nebuchadnezzar goes crazy. And then almost as quick as he snaps, his sanity is restored. Kind of interesting, isn't it? It's like you could tell that God is just in control of this whole thing. Interesting story that I read this week. Napoleon. Remember him from the beginning of the message? Napoleon decides that he's all that. Then he gets captured. He gets put in exile. And while he's in exile, the Pope, who at one point was imprisoned by Napoleon, sends a priest, and the priest leaves a Bible with Napoleon. And Napoleon starts to read it. And in Napoleon's diaries, there's pretty good evidence that Napoleon finally acknowledges God as the creator of all things and the Lord of heaven. Kind of interesting, huh? The question is this, what's it gonna take? What's it gonna take for you to truly acknowledge that God is sovereign above all things? Do you want to live life with God opposing you because of your pridefulness? Or will you humbly acknowledge that he's ruler over all? If you want to stop the insanity, if you want to experience God's grace, then here, it's this simple. Acknowledge him as king. Acknowledge that all that you have, many of us, maybe we just simply need to acknowledge that everything that we have is a gift from God. That it's not just because of us then we need to surrender our lives to him and recognize him as the true king over all things. Now, people have been asking me about Nebuchadnezzar. I I would not be surprised if we saw Nebuchadnezzar in heaven because he acknowledges the Lord as king. Now, he's, he's before Christ, there's a whole lot of other, and I know some of you might get into all kinds of theological tizzies about that statement, but the reality is I, I wouldn't be surprised because he served God, did what God asked him to do, and finally he acknowledges God as the king of heaven. The question this morning is this. Is the Lord king in your life? Or are you working overtime trying to create your own kingdom.
Because if you acknowledge him as king, you'll be part of a kingdom that will never fail. And Jesus came, like I said, God will go to incredible lengths to prove his love for us. And that's what the cross is all about. That's why we take communion each week. If you've got your communion, you might want to pull this out. That every week we, we do this to remind ourselves that there is one who loved us enough to give his life for us. And this little piece of bread represents Jesus' broken body that he gave on our behalf. Because he loved you enough and did not want you to have an eternity without him. And so let's take that, let's take that bread together. And the cup represents Jesus' shed blood with which he purchased our salvation and washed away our sins. I mean, at this moment, as you think about it, this this right here is enough to help us handle our pride. We were sinful, and we needed Jesus to remove our sin. And aren't you glad he did? Amen, let's take the cup together. this morning if you need to make him king of your life I would encourage you to come and to come and talk to me I'm going to ask any of our our elders or staff to just come sit up front and if you want to talk with anyone pray with anyone if if you if you need prayer this morning we're here for you but we want you to know one thing that the king of kings the lord of lords he is pursuing you this morning because he loves you let's pray our heavenly father thank you Thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you, Father, for all that you've done for us and all that you provide for us. And Father, may we never, ever forget that all of this is a gift from your mighty hand and that you are king. We love you, Lord, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the NPFCC Messages podcast. If you'd like to support the work of our church, head to npfcc.org give to make a one-time or reoccurring gift. For more information about us, you can always check out our website at npfcc.org. Again, that's npfcc.org.